in another thing that I do, which is that I'm the president of the Medical Cannabis Student Association at the University of Maryland. So, you know, we have these networking events and we have sort of planning committees. We're trying to figure out what does the professional development look like for, for people who are in cannabis coaching and how does that differ from a cannabis pharmacist versus a cannabis doctor? Because everybody's sort of fighting for the same real estate right now. I don't want to say fighting because there's needs all around. But what I mean is we're all sort of doing each other's jobs, right? And because we right. sort of... We, Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. All right. Well, hello. As people get logged on, I'll finish telling my story. Uh, Cody was just asking me how we got started at the Global Hemp Association. And so I said, we might as well go live and share this story. Um, I started almost two years ago. It's been a little bit over two years where we were hosting events in Utah. Um, I was really taken back when I was uh, talking from, you know, going into one facility to the next a block away. And both of them were doing the exact same thing, making the exact same mistake when we were aware of new advanced technologies that were out there. Right. And I, I literally had to bite my tongue one time walking into a facility, they were installing a $4 million piece of equipment and it was outdated. And he didn't know that the person a block away had this new technology that was faster, bigger processing, less cost, you know, less chemical, in the same and town. So, in the same town. And they just didn't know. And so I said, you know, I've got to create something where these guys can come together and openly talk about it. And I'm in Utah. And so hemp is not something that we shout from the rooftops or didn't right, shout from the rooftops, which is really funny. Um, or funny for me now. And people say all the time, like, wait, you're in Utah doing this? <laughs> what are you doing? Why? How did you pick this? Um, but then I realized really quick, Utah needed national support if we were going to get off the ground and then global support to bring processing equipment in or anything like that. And so about a year ago, just over a year ago, actually, we transferred to Global Hemp Association um, with the intent of putting a voice behind fiber and grain. And so I focused strictly on the fiber and grain side. And I, uh, when COVID happened, I, so now obviously COVID's been around for just over a year. And I, um, yeah, I've done 250 something interviews with different executives within the industry and published over 400 and something hours of content, recorded content. Um, and it's all with the intent of providing knowledge and resource to the industrial industry and connecting the dots in the supply chain. Get the info yeah. out there. I love it. Yeah. So we host eight to 12 different meetings a month um, from carbon, sustainability, bioplastics, biofuels, construction, building materials, textiles, education, farming. Um, we get 50 to 100 people that log into each of our meetings. And, and now we've got this platform that is another connectivity tool. It's very robust. It's, it's awesome. I'm super excited about getting people logged in. You can pull up a map, search all different types of content, post projects, post jobs. Uh, connect with people, chat. So then when you leave our meetings, you know, it really is a networking opportunity to take that tool and build business or relationships from there. And that's, you're really trying to create some connectivity across this very 100%. fractured market, right? I mean, 
this is what I, I love being said, and this is from Greg Gerdeman. I don't know if you've had him uh, on your show. One of my advisors. And essentially, is we have this entire uh, hubadoo about how great hemp is and how it's going to change the world. But I don't see it. Like, you know, if you do see something hemp, it's very novelty. And so uh, we're going to have to push this forward in a way. Uh, I'm glad to hear you're, you're connecting the dots and, and are connected to, to Greg as well. Yeah, he's a good good man. I'm excited awesome. to bring him on some more. <laughs> and he's yeah, he's great. So, are you going to be in Nashville by chance for the uh, Southern Hemp Expo? I have not even heard about the the okay. expo. Uh, there's so You're many things different... going on this year during this resurgence, right? Yeah, I'm in Southern California. And you're in a different space. Like it's funny how different the industrial market is and the commodity and the manufacturing side compared to the cannabis, right? And the THC. I'm going to be at CanMed. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. I'm going to be at CanMed. So it's about the medical application of what we can do with that. And that includes seeds, my friend. The oils contained in the seeds are a great combination of omega-3 and omega-6, which feeds the endocannabinoid system the fats that it needs to produce the endocannabinoids. A lot of people don't know that anandamide is made from omega-6 fats. It is made from a lot of the fats that we actually eat in abundance, maybe too much abundance in this country. And we overproduce this endocannabinoid. And this could actually be contributing to some of the psych issues we're dealing with, anxieties, depressions, etc. Now, again, that's a bit of a reach. It's all based on animal models. Uh, but this diet associated with our mood and things, this is connected. So that seed stuff is definitely uh, part of the same game. Okay, so let's talk about this. You just totally like you've piqued my interest and I want to keep going. So maybe yeah. introduce yourself really too quick. Tell everybody who you oh, are, how'd you get here. <laughs> yeah, I'd love How do I know these because, things? Uh, yeah. Who is this man and why does he know these things? Uh, my name is Cody Peterson or Dr. Cody. Uh, I'm a cannabis pharmacist, really I'm a pediatric pharmacist turning to cannabis and really trying to bring the skill set that I fostered in Western medicine into the uh, into the space that is cannabis. Uh, and that includes hemp, right? And that includes industrial uses because I think there's a lot of good that we can do there from a health and wellness perspective. And then obviously the cannabinoids, the terpenoids or the essential oils um, can really have a lot of therapeutic implications as well. And to make kind of add on to that, I'm also getting my master's degree in medical cannabis science and therapeutics from the University of Maryland. Uh, and I do a bunch of other stuff. I'm, on a couple of scientific committees and whatnot. Uh, definitely um, busy doing things, uh, but not one thing in this cannabis space. Well, and I just saw that you posted an announcement that you are now part of the uh, Curious About Cannabis Advisory Board. I am an educator as well. Educator. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm part of their educator board. Um, and really okay. what we're, we did is we, or we did really, um, Jason Wilson, the man who started Curious About Cannabis, my favorite podcast about cannabis, at least cannabis as medicine. Um, he, I followed him through all his shows and eventually reached out. And I was like, hey, man, I'm a big fan. Uh, we we kind of talked a little bit and then he's developing this team and somehow hitched to ride along. So I'm looking at these individuals who I've looked up to for the last nine, 12 months I've been in this space. And I'm like, Oh, Hey guys. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a, it's been a quick, a quick run to the top. You know, I, I came into this space with the skill set, cannabis, especially medicinal cannabis or the, the science and medicine of cannabis 
I already had all these skills from pediatrics and from pharmacy school. And it turns out cannabis looks a lot like pharmacy from lots and expirations from, from uh, BUDs that you put on products, everything from serial numbers and barcoding and, and uh, record keeping, SOP development. This is all already pharmacy work. Everything I just mentioned, we do every day. Compounding, formulations, mm-hmm. all pharmacy, right? Uh, drug delivery, all pharmacy. <laughs> yep. And the chemistry around how it's, like you said, the compounding, the chemistry about how it's made and how it's extracted and what it reacts with. and Yeah, and even deeper, what does that molecule look like and how can little changes in that molecule lead to major changes in effects? Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's do it. Perfect transition. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but good job. Uh, yeah, so the CBD market and the Delta 8 market. Talk to me a little bit about how how does... How is Delta 8, I, I don't know if you want to say produced, made, um, and not not all the way down to the science, but in general, so those that don't understand what it looks like, because there's this message that it's a hemp-derived product, yeah. right? Yeah, well, I mean, it is derived, but you the word derive isn't exactly very clear about, it is made directly from CBD, but it, and not in the plant. The plant has long forgotten about that, never had the genetics to produce anything that looks like Delta 8 or Delta 9. And Delta 9 is the cannabinoid, the intoxicating one, that we just typically call THC. But in truth, it's it's actually minus Delta 9 THC. Now, there's a, that's a very specific chemical formula, but we're going to focus on the Delta. And the Delta is representative of a, a single double bond, uh, so it can move around in a circle. That's all you really need to know. If it moves one position... Think of like a clock hand moving from the one to the two. Now, all of a sudden, you go from uh, delta one to delta two in the case of the clock hand, or in this case of the cannabinoid, delta eight to delta nine. Just one little move of this clock hand. It seems like no big deal. But in the, in the case in the body, when you have these receptors that respond to these, these drugs, um, whether they're produced in your body or you're taken from the outside world, they create very specific effects. And the shape of that key Imagine it, that key being the drug, imagine it being like all the little notches on the key that you put into your door. There's a very specific set of, of notches in order to enact a certain door. A little bit different and you're going to get a different response in that lock. Um, it is not quite as straightforward as a door because we're talking about something uberly complex uh, when we talk about pharmacology and this is the simplification of those, uh, those yeah. functions. Okay. so. What's the argument then around the Delta eight? No, and- no, it, it, you, you have a good, a good point. So I guess we got to get laid a little more framework, right? Everyone who's listening to this understands that in 2018, you know, hemp became legal and that we started growing it like crazy. A lot of farmers grew this plant and then can't get rid of it. I personally connected to my family, know one group of farmers in Pennsylvania who are still holding hemp from a 2019 season, I think. Um, and I, what they're going to do with that, I, I don't know. Uh, um, <laughs> so maybe that's where you can come in. Um, but with respect to uh, the, where we're at with Delta 8, what we had is this surplus of CBD because instead of holding on to this hemp, you can extract CBD and turn it into an isolate. So a pure chemical cannabidiol CBD. 
that's great, except that's not really that great a medicine. And it, the doses, you know, uh, in the isolate form that tend to produce the effects we're looking for tend to be on the higher side. We've even seen some liver toxicity in certain animal models and even in some people studies um, with high doses of CBD isolate. And so what we've seen now is sort of a, a lack of demand and therefore, but an overproduction and therefore a big drop in price. Um, so CBD isolate is hella cheap. Uh, and, and it turns out that if you just start reading through some of the literature that Dr. Mashulam and, and a lot of really influential chemists that have got us here in cannabis science, they wrote about how to change these cannabinoids into different Delta eights, Delta nines, THC, O acetate, or all these other uh, molecules that we can talk about today. The, we were discovering these molecules starting in really the 1960s, and a lot of work has been done by chemists. And now we have chemists who see an opportunity with an extremely cheap substrate to make a psychoactive, quote unquote, legal cannabinoid that is sold in, in uh, smoke shops and in gas stations and convenience stores Everywhere. around the country. I mean, yeah, where whoever's Everywhere. willing to take it. And think, I mean, if you just look at the sheer cost of a Delta eight cartridge, right, it comes in 0.5 or one gram cartridges, just like typical um, cannabis products. And it's, well, we'll get to that in a second. It's about $5 to $10 for one of those cartridges. Now keep in mind a high quality cannabis product in California is going to run you $70 plus tax. Uh, and so we're talking about something that is extremely cheap. Now, it's not always the case, but typically you get what you pay for, right? So because it's being made cheaply, there's probably not a lot of quality control along the way. And then there becomes some real concerns just from that simple perspective that there's a race to the bottom. This is cheap substrate and is not well regulated. Now, there is something to be said about Delta-8 in the plant, right? So have you heard that before? What is your impression of Delta-8 in the plant? mine that there's very very little like that naturally it's there and it happens during degradation of another cannabinoid but it's um or cannabidiol cannabinoid but it's cannabinoid, uh, so little that it wouldn't affect you like it does as if you were smoking a vape that's what i know about it sure i think you're i think you're pretty spot on look the plant has an enzyme in it that takes cbga cannabigerol can that Cannabis <laughs> this is a sleep thing I was telling you about. Everyone, I'm coming off of a night shift. Give me, give me a little slack. <laughs> Cannabidurolic acid, CBGA, is converted by THCA synthase, okay, to make THCA, the, the THC acid. Now, that sits in the trichome, and that's really what's there until that trichome is taken off the plant, dried, burnt, etc. But... Not really, because everything in, in the world is actually in flux and constantly changing, right? The deeper you look, the grayer everything gets. And so there is some of this THCA, which is in the, the trichome, that is actually starting to degrade to, to regular old THC, or it can even become delta-8 THC acid. Now, that's degrading most likely because of UV radiation, and, and that's probably what's influencing it, but it's also exposure to oxygen and that. Now, that, here's the, the, the twist, right? And, and I've been touting that for a while. I've done a podcast on Delta-8. 
when you look at the degradation of delta 9 THC and THC acid, right? When you in the flower, when you smoke it, what you find interestingly is a certain percentage of this delta 9 is being converted during the burning process into delta 8 naturally. And by naturally, I mean fire. <laughs> uh, so kind, kind of naturally, kind of not. Uh, so there's there people are consuming some degree of this molecule more than likely in combination with more uh you know the regular delta 9 THC. okay so See. i think it's not everyone knows this no no it's a misunderstanding you know it's one thing we were talking about there's a lot of uh misunderstanding within the industry and also through consumers and i think consumers themselves and even when i started uh, Utah itself was really fighting the Delta eight of whether we were going to keep it or not. And so the the push was that it came from the hemp plant. And so therefore it falls under the farm bill. Farm bill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and, but you can try to frame that a lot of different ways, right? So let's imagine, okay, I can make a lot of drugs out of like terpenes because they're really little small molecules. If you've got the right chemist, you can do a lot of things. I'm not that guy, by the way. I said that, that's not me. I'm just saying you can, they can. Okay, so they can make these Someone molecules. Someone could if I had this. Right, <laughs> so if you just said blanketly, oh, if it comes from a plant and then you go manipulate it willity-dilly, that's cool. As long as the drug doesn't occur naturally, right? Like, okay, well, so let's like, say you're making- It's like less poppy, poppies. Perfect example. It's a it's a great example. You could extract the morphine and, and do all of these things and, and try to say that, you know, or you could manipulate it into semi-synthetic like hydromorphone or oxycodone. And that would clearly be illegal. I think everyone would agree. Like, you can't do that. But as it comes in the plant, it seems to be pretty kosher. A lot of states are jumping on and saying, you're right. They agree with, you know, you know Dr. Cody on this one or whatever, and that that should be regulated differently. But we're a long way off. Um, but yes, so there's a legality issue around why this is legal. And that's because it's derived from hemp and found in the cannabis plant, right? And we discussed this. It is there. It has been found. But there's a lot of complication to this, too. There have been hundreds of cannabinoids found in, in the plant. And not all of them are naturally occurring and being extracted from plants. And, and another example of this that we're now seeing on the internet on a couple select sites, particularly like to push the edge or envelope, um, is we're seeing the sales of a few dr drugs um, known as either THCO acetate, um, which is one, or we're seeing something known as HHC, which is hydroxyhexacannabinol. And these are, how do I want to say this? These have been found, or varieties of them have been, well, not the THCO acetate, excuse me, HHC has been found in the plant before in super tiny amounts, one time, it could be an artifact, uh, but it also has been, we can make them. Because when we started studying cannabinoids, we we're like, what can we do to these molecules? Let's manipulate them. Let's find a way to make them more potent. And let's find a way to make them act funny. And so we did all this Leave stuff. It. Leave it to the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> well, 
Yeah, I mean, look, there's been, there's been plenty of good and plenty of bad. So I'm oh, certainly good. yeah. Yeah, I'm a. So I, I was I started in pharmacy school. I didn't make it all the way, <laughs> but I started uh, there. Organic chemistry. Yeah, that organic chemistry too. <laughs> oh, uh, I was close. <laughs> um, I look. I, I lost got a lot of good friends in that class. <laughs> <laughs> I took it twice. <laughs> Uh, well, you, you gave it your best effort. Uh, Ochem is hard. And what we're really going to talk about right now is pretty much organic chemistry. <laughs> and so, so here's what's really interesting. This THCO acetate that I just described, this, this cartridge, I'm, I'm kind of getting on a kick about it. I talked to some people about writing a piece about it. This is a molecule that can now be found across numerous sites on the internet, particularly sites that are selling Delta-8 and, and really pushing this Delta-8 game strong. Some of them are doing very well. I'm sure making relatively clean product. The problem is, is there's no regulation, no transparency. So no one knows what is anything is. All the lab reports are faked, yada, yada, yada. I could go on. It's just a shady industry right now. Um, it, it really is. It, and, and again, there, there are good chemists out there making high quality product, but like, Amen. how do you make sure that the, the, the person's consuming that and not the trash? And, and how like, do you say to somebody why a product is better when it versus another one? Like, how do we, how do we educate the public when there is such a difference? And I think that people default to worst case scenario and that's where it's hard is well, am I going to die? You mean like, oh, it's not going to kill me kind of deal? <laughs> no, just more <laughs> like, um, like the product doesn't work or it's not clean, you know, assuming that it's like a, what they've heard. And so oh, there's, exactly. I, you, know, you end up battling this lack of consistency and therefore people are like, well, I've already tried that four times and it didn't work. Or I tried one and it was bad. And so how do I know the next one's not going to be bad also? Or, yeah, yeah, this is, anyway. this is, this is trust, right? We we're trying to yeah. build, we need to build consumer trust in the, in the laboratory results that we publish in access. Yes. We need to give them access to real legitimate information, not, made up and we need to have this regulated in a way i don't like want a bunch of federal involvement but like in some way we need to regulate this market and make sure that that the player the bad players are getting weeded out and the illicit market is being suppressed while we uplift the illicit market those who are doing it right and buy the book should not have to struggle to compete with the black market because of dumb laws um so that's i guess something a little Loopholes. bit different yeah Okay, so that's kind of where I was going and what this causes or what I see happening for the industry is this, you know, it's hurting the industry by not having the regulation and the consistency and the oversight. Mm -hmm. The tra transparency yeah. from, from the producers, etc. So this molecule that I was just diving into, I'm just going to breeze over it, but I Please. got started. This THCO acetate is being made from Delta-8 THC. And it's easily manipulated in a, in a test tube in a laboratory, very easily, not even in a high, you know, like some fancy place. Pretty much you're adding an acetate group, which is, which is quite easy. You add one chemical called acetic anhydride, and all of a sudden you get this little appendage added on to the THC molecule. Now, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but what that does is it changes the entire pharmacokinetic profile. Fancy word for how long it takes to hit you, how hard it hits you, and how long it lasts. Um, and so it changes the entire experience. Is that bad? 
I'm not sure. Maybe it could be beneficial for someone with cancer, but I sure as hell don't want some guy who has no pharmaceutical training manipulating plant molecules and turning them into pharmaceuticals and then selling me that in in an inhalable vape cartridge that's mixed with with botanically derived terpenes. That's like, it's not about that the THCO is bad. It's that producing drugs in an unregulated market and then selling them to consumers unregulated is is not going to it doesn't fly it's the reason we have the existing system has the have pharma screwed a lot of this up i sure think so and that's why i think we need to get a separate route from like botanical cannabis cannabis that came from a plant and and is just yeah. uh just that and nothing manipulated in in a uh test tube just like I guess I didn't really go into this very well, but when I talk about this sort of synthesis and chemists doing this, that is what Delta-8 is. The Delta-8 has to be taken, CBDs mixed with this acid, added heat, and it can convert. But that conversion is not what chemists would typically call clean. So then you have to remediate it and you have to go through these processes to try to get the product to a color or even a purity level that is acceptable and again, no one's coming to their door and taking any random sampling of, of anything that they're doing to make sure it's within, you know, within quality. It, for me to make your medicine in the hospital, and I've got my doctorate in this, I have to submit twice annual, you know, competency tests. We have to show every SOP under the sun. We, we're, we're subject to randomized search and, and you know, uh, interrogation, so, so to speak. And like, and, and none, there's none of that. The FDA has no teeth. And this market has run amok. Um, that's that's my 18 cents. <laughs> I like it. I like where you're going with this. So tell me about how you how would we go about separating this like from plant cannabis section, right? Or medicine from plants uh, unchanged? Uh, because I'm with you. I think the synthetic, as soon as it's ran through a lab, it's it's no longer cannabis or certainly not cannabis right yeah it's yeah definitely botanical cannabis the herbal variety should be preserved and should be treated with its own right now how how medical reimbursement and everything will play into that i'm not sure but that's why botanical cannabis needs to be preserved by opening the the regulations and getting rid of this federal nonsense and Generally speaking, there will just be a, a market that can drive the amount of cannabis that the consumers demand, and everything will sort of equilibrate most states, right? But prohibition that will remain in these hard-nosed, uh, you know, sort of conservative states, we're going to see a black market demand if we don't, like, you know, like we're going to see that, but you're still going to have abundance of cannabis coming from other states, so I just think it's going to be better overall and less of this demand for synthetics like Delta. So I think that's like one really big thing. But what I guess I'm getting at is we really need to be looking at cannabis as medicine and separating that from, from the, the actual adult use, which is totally permissible. I want to, I'm a proponent of home grow. I'm a proponent of industrial. Let's use the shit out of this plant. The cannabis is amazing. But we got to make sure that that medicine part is treated more like medicine because patients deserve this. When if, if your loved one is diagnosed with cancer, they deserve access to a pharmacist like myself or a physician like Dr. Patricia Fry that can help them navigate this really complex world of cannabis as medicine, which is only a pillar, like one piece 
of what we're really doing. We're utilizing Western medicines in combination with cannabis, in combination with dietary lifestyle, and this holistic approach is really the way cannabis is best served. It's a fine medicine on its own. It's an exceptional medicine when in the hands of someone who knows how to guide a new user with it. Okay, so how do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out or if they want to, like you said, looking for, because there's people all the time that I hear, you know, Mandy, how, how connect me to somebody. Who do I talk to? Uh, my brother's diagnosed. My mom's diagnosed. I have cancer, right? How do people find those resources? It's not easy right now. And, and I am, you know, sort of trying to, I don't want to say dip my toes in that space, but kind of, I know a lot of coaches through my experience at the university of yeah. Maryland. So uh, I do have my website, which is farm D approved. If you reach out to me there, you're looking for a coach. I can connect you more than likely with somebody who probably fits your needs, et cetera. So if you're looking we have coaches who are dietitians and coaches, we have individuals who, you know, dealt with children and autism. And so there's a lot of different angles and we need to structure around that in the same way that hemp needs this connectivity. We need this connectivity or in this coaching space. It's weird though, because we have doctors and pharmacists and then just coaches who have life experience. And so we're really, we don't understand the hierarchy yet. And these are conversations that we're having in another thing that I do, which is that I'm the president of the medical cannabis student association at the university of Maryland. So, you know, we have these networking events and we have sort of planning committees. We were trying to figure out what does the professional development look like for for people who are in cannabis coaching and how does that differ from a cannabis pharmacist versus a cannabis doctor? Cause everybody's sort of fighting for the same real estate right now. I don't want to say fighting cause there's needs all around, but what I mean is, we're all sort of doing each other's jobs, right? And because we right. sort of, we, for well, whatever reason. We're trying to figure, reason, out, figure yeah. out what the need is and it's evolving so fast. It's crazy. And, and creating this, this sort of sector for medical cannabis is going to sure up a lot of the things that the healthcare professionals can do. Coaches will still have a role. And I think that, you know, they could be um, a really integral part of touching base with the patient and making sure they have their needs met because Doctors are really expensive. Pharmacists are quite expensive. Nurses are rather expensive. And, you know, Sandy, who's retired, but really likes helping people and getting 20% on the CBD sales or whatever can be really helpful. And I think there's probably going to be a role in the future for that person too. Okay, cool. Well, I'm excited for it to evolve and however we can support you, I'd love to help connect. And there's so many people that are constantly asking me. And like I said, this is just not, it's not the same conversation as the industrial manufacturing for wallboard or <laughs> flooring, or it's just a different topic, right? Very different benefits, one for our body and one for the planet. Okay. So talk mm -hmm. to me about terpenes a little bit, right? My understanding, and I hear this all the time is the like, indica, sativa, you know, one makes you uh, into the couch and one gives you in energy. And then I, yeah also now understand the value of the terpenes and the terpene profile as to how it makes you feel. Can you kind of explain some of that on the cannabis side for consumers as they're trying to figure out what works for them? You know, what, what helps with their anxiety and what, what it, should they be looking for or paying attention to? Such a good question. Uh, I think terpenes is a good, a good, you know, thing to bring up, but I think first and foremost is your, your cannabis type, right? There's, there's multiple types of cannabis there. There's not just the type that you typically think of, which is marijuana by the government's definition, which is a stupid term, uh, which is why I call it a type one. 
Uh, type one is a high THC. We could call it that too. Cannabis variety. It can be really helpful, particularly for the uh, you know uh, long-term user, or, or if you're looking for potent effects immediately, whether those are effects are for pain relief, because uh, you're having or you're having anxiety attack, etc. But um, those effects can also often overshoot the needs of a novice patient, and so sometimes these patients should often be cannabis taking it back. It turns out cannabis actually naturally makes these sort of balanced varieties where THC and CBD are more imbalanced. And when you consume THC with CBD, you might get a few, a few less side effects, which is really cool. Uh, like less anxiety, less racing thoughts, um, and potentially maybe less side effects and maybe even cooler, maybe less abuse potential. Like you may be less likely to uh, develop a bad relationship with the plant, which can happen. Uh, it's It looks much more like um, video game or caffeine addiction, but it's still an addiction and you can spend a lot of your time sort of chasing that that uh, high on like a hamster mm-hmm. on a wheel, so to speak. Um, and, and that's okay, we can acknowledge that, okay? Cigarettes kill 7 million people globally a year, alcohol 3 million. I think we can handle a little bit of cannabis use disorder uh, because the other two are legal everywhere, <laughs> at least for men. Uh, <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, terrible joke about the Middle East. Um, so <laughs> um, there, um, there is definitely a need for a lot of change and a lot of education in this space. Now, terpenes are important, and the history of, of uh, the actual, how do I want to say this? The history of the Indica Sativa might be more true than it is today. Today, this is not a very useful tool and it leaves a lot to be desired. And we're really trying to tease through how we're gonna talk about this plant in the future and so many um, other important things. Um, So we um, are trying to figure that out. And in the meantime, it's gonna take trial and error, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So you can buy something that you think is an indica or a sativa, but I would actually probably best say smell it if it smells like something that, that you've enjoyed in the past, um, then give it a go. If it's real citrusy or you find it a certain a certain just tickle of your nose, it's probably a good sign. Believe it or not, this thing is very powerful, far better than a lot of the chromatography machines that we're using that are only looking for a select 22 terpenes, right? And these terpenes are, are these hydrocarbons that all plants make. Every plant on the planet pretty much is making terpenes. Cannabis makes it pretty prolifically in, the, in a pretty select few, like eight or so, like really common, um, mm-hmm. potent terpenes. Now, terpenes can also be called essential oils, um, but the smells are very complicated. And it's not just the terpenes that, we're, that we talk about when we talk about aromatics. Now, all of that is sort of me rambling on and saying you are going to be stuck using some trial and error, but you can use a couple things to try to guide you. There is some speculation that high myrcene uh, cannabis. So if you, if you have the luxury of looking at a uh, terpene profile or a COA certificate of analysis on your cannabis product, I definitely recommend that you um, try to look for the dominant terpene. So uh, it, you can find a dominant terpene. There's usually one or two, which is called a codominant. When you identify that dominant terpene, sort of make note and sort of use that as your guiding terpene. This cannabis is a myrcene. This cannabis is a limonene. And if you use that, then maybe you can gain some value into what your unique physiology is and what what sort of helps you. 
But this idea that, that indica is into couch and sativa is uplifting is either completely rooted in history, fallacy, a misunderstanding, or a bit of all three. Okay. See, that's exactly what I wanted to share is like, cause it's hard for people to understand and I still hear it all the time. And I just don't understand it well enough sometimes to speak to it. You know, I can say, wait, that's not right. And I'm like, well, why? I'm not exactly sure, but I know that that's not right. I cannot tell you. So I'm excited to have that. So what other misunderstandings do you hear, you know, being in the education space and, and speaking about this often, what are some of the topics that you hear come up on a regular basis uh, whether from consumer or within the industry. Yeah, I think just to touch back on the one we just talked about uh, is the indica sativa thing. I think that this is yeah. probably the biggest misunderstanding. That um, and I th- I, here's just a fun fact about it. Um, so so these names are derived from where the plants were found. One was found in India um, in 1760 something. And the other was found in Europe. Cannabis sativa was found in Europe in the 1750s was when it was first described a little bit earlier. But do you know what sativa means? No. Sativa means cultivated or it's derived from the word meaning cultivated. And there are a bunch of sativas all throughout human, uh, like what we do, because it means like a, a domesticated crop. Uh, and so sativa, if you look at the taxonomy of the plants that we eat, like broccoli is a sativa and like, there's all these other, uh, examples of sativa that are all around us because it means a plant that has been sort of fostered to stay with us. So you can imagine if humans were messing with this plant, even before it was named, there's probably no direct correlation between, you know, its particular effects. Now there is some speculation that land race strains, those that have rewild, like re-become wild and they're breeding, remember, because there's boys and girls. So in the wild, cannabis plants make all sorts of genetic variations. They could look much like uh, a human. If you had, you know, uh, two different individuals, with different color skin, you get a baby with any, any color skin in the spectrum between those two individuals. And that's the way the cannabis plant works. And after generations, you get very robust plants, the land races that, that we talk about. Now, those might have specific attributes, but maybe not because again, all these genetics were mixing together and all of these different uh, factors were at play. So it's not entirely clear. There have been some studies speculating there's a s- specific terpenes in, in one or the other, but I'm, my personal opinion is that nomenclature to go, or at least effects-based nomenclature. If we still want to call the plants by the shape of their leaves, so be it. But let's stop telling consumers that if they buy the indica, that's the sleepy one, because uh, it's just not the case for everyone. Oh man, and the education, right? The education that needs to be had to the bud, bud tenders, because how people many don't know tenders? there's a boy and a girl plant. Like we haven't even gotten that far. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about that. Let's talk about that a little bit, because that blows my mind. That's just to me common sense. Like how would they breed? How do we get? Well, a lot of plants aren't, you know, like, uh, like when you think of plants as, as male and female, they always have male and female flowers if they're a flowering plant or an angiosperm, sure. but that can be on the same individual plant. And so I have friends who, um, maybe I had, had been around plenty of cannabis with me in college. Let's say I get yeah. a, a message out of the blue just this year ago. And he sends me a message and he says, how, how does it look? Right. And it's this, it's this male whose pollen sacs are all opened up and right. And he's like fully done his deal. And I was like, 
it looks like you didn't take care of it. Like, and he, he's like, I don't know. Should I, how should I smoke it? He said, or something like that, which you could take these, you know, the, some of the leaves and dry them, et cetera. But like, he didn't know. And, and he's been around <laughs> cannabis for years. And so, yeah, there's these male and female plants. And what's interesting is instead of being in the same plant, although it can be right, we can hurt me. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that. But just like humans, it's an X and a Y chromosome. Plant, not all plants are like this. So you have this X and the Y and there's this sort of randomness to it. And then also you can get can get certain like defects, you know, sort of like we do in boys only on that Y chromosome in, in cannabis. Interesting. Okay. See, this this is just fascinating to me. I, you just keep talking. I love listening to it. <laughs> uh, it well, well, and I know, so the females are obviously uh, for the high resin plants. Right. Where okay. well, are they time. always, or well, is it only when we keep them and make them sexually frustrated? Okay. Okay. Right. So sensimia is what we're all smoking in the dispensary or what we're all purchasing. And this is seedless flour. Well, how the hell did it get seedless? Well, because we kept all the boys away. So what's going on here? Well, we don't really understand because we don't fully understand why the plant makes cannabinoids at all, but speculation is is it's likely to protect the, the flower and the pistol and this uh the pistol from the elements the wind the sun etc so it turns out that cannabinoid acids are really good at protecting from uv radiation and so the the female plant is up awake and protecting herself keeping herself away from the sun waiting on her mister to pollinate her so she can stop worrying about these cannabinoids and start making some seeds but until she gets pollinated she's waiting and waiting and waiting she may get so frustrated or have a trick up her sleeve that she pops some balls and and does it herself and, and yeah. the, <laughs> that's that exactly like the most- yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is what's happening. I just said it in a vulgar way. I'm sorry. <laughs> you made it so we all understand it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So the sense of me is this frustrated flower. She's producing these cannabinoids to protect herself, waiting for the male to help pollinate. And then she'll immediately stop producing the cannabinoids. I mean, it's it's a ruin to the whole crop. Is The farmer, they see if they miss the hermy, they're trying to chop it down. They're trying to, trying to salvage. Yeah. Um, yeah. If Obviously, depending on where they are in their, their flower cycle. But. See, this is this is just fascinating, interesting, because it's not the conversation that we're having when we're growing fiber for textiles. And I mean, it's just, you know, the males are favored in a lot of that. that sure. They get better fibers, right? Yeah. Well, and the the way that they grow, they don't grow the branches and the nodes. And so that makes the fi- yeah, like fi- fiber longer, stronger, better tinsel. Strength. Yeah. So like tall boys, longer fibers. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very yeah, I don't know, but I've been watching these pictures come up on the internet recently, right? And I like it's crazy how hemp was just like wiped from from like public view. For I mean, it, there was a little bit around here and there, right? I'm sure certain countries have been growing this this plant through the the whole time, but I never saw these twelve foot plants on the internet ever before. Like I'm seeing them, like whoa, that is a monster. And then you see these weird pictures from the 1930s or whatever, and you're like, oh shit, they were that tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. It's been amazing watching it try to resurface and how much has come up, and when it does come up, how much traction it picks up on social media. You know? I, I yeah, mean, I agree. 
when you've when people like one of my my most uh, retweeted stories was I, I don't know if I got it from you, but that hemp was mandated to be grown uh, in the you know and twice in in American history, and and that was one of the my best performing stories actually on my Instagram. Interesting. Interesting. And if you don't follow me on Instagram, y'all, make sure you do. I'm at Cannabis Farm D. That's Farm D, like my title down here. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so where do you where do you see the industry going? You know, how do how do you think that legalization will really impact? We touched on you know legalizing and the need for it, but where do you see it really impacting the industry? I mean, I think it's going to impact all the industries, and I think I think a, a shift away from the war on drugs mentality that we've been at can can change a lot. Um, however, if I'm looking specifically at Cannabis reform in general is going to most directly and immediately impact this sort of consumer market. I think it ha- could have much greater impacts over a longer period. But when when the uh, you know the gates come up and corporate money can start flooding into the the coffers and start filling up the pockets of innovators and and just large scale manufacturers and all this, you're going to have a completely different thing. So it's going to be like CPG consumer whatever is is where it's going if you want my honest opinion i I, we really i want to preserve craft i want to preserve home grow definitely we have to make sure that home grow is part of any federal legislation and if the state wants to make the decision whatever like let it let the people speak at that point yeah yeah people can move yeah you and and you can work on a smaller scale and actually reform your state or your county or whatever it might be but like the feds have to come out and say home grow because it's the only way you can keep the profiteers from taking this plant away from us again essentially and and keeping it in the confines of whatever context that that money speaks mm-hmm Absolutely. Um, so what's with this? Can you speak a little bit to the FDA and how they spoke to no, uh, not using CBD in ingredients and nutraceuticals? Ooh, is this new? This is yeah. pretty new. I don't want to speak on this because I'm not well prepared okay. for it. So I haven't read okay. the FDA statement yet. Um, well, I you, just, I've read a can you brief of, me on it? Yeah, what is I've read a couple of articles and, you know, so don't quote me either. But my understanding is, yeah, that they've named CBD as not being able to be used for nutraceuticals or over-the-counter ingredients, mm. right? Because it's in the epidialect. Oh, okay. So that that's existing. Okay. So, all right. I'm familiar with that. And that has to do with precedent law that says any drug that's been approved cannot be a nutraceutical by definition. What do I think of that? I think it's nonsense and it holds no weight and we can look around and see it. Um, I think it won't be a concern soon. I don't think GW is going to be going for. I don't know how you can go after one cannabinoid out of the what 120 something that there are, or, you know, how, yeah, well, the same. The THC is the same game. Dronabinol, it's just not on brand restrictions anymore, so it doesn't make anybody any money. So no one actually cares about trying to take this to the house. Mm. And and so you you could see this time after time again. Like we could have products, for example, CBG, right? That are already on the product. They're in our topicals. They're they're wherever. They're in our gut formulas, and then they get uh, GW gets approval. Let's say. 
Well, then that would mean retroactively all those products are out. I, I don't see it happening. And I don't think it should apply to a hmm. molecule that is made in the plant. And I think you will find when it gets to the high, a high enough court that that won't hold up. They're going to say, no, no, no. The plant makes this. You can't, you can patent all you want and sell with the indication and the insurance and you can play that game, but you can't limit what the consumer can do. That's how I think that will play out um, in the long haul. I think that GW is going to move the carrot ahead of the donkey as long as it can to maximize its proprietary profits. Sure. That's sure. Right. Okay. So there's a couple And it's not comments. GW anymore. It's jazz. <laughs> okay. Okay. They've got bought for $7 billion. Yep. (laughs) Wow. Say it well. I'm in Utah where we're a tech centric and you know, those numbers fly around all the time for tech all also. So it just blows my mind the, yeah, what we're, what we're up against. And, and thinking about that, when you talk about uh, the political poll, right? Who, who are, who, when, when I look at it on the fiber and grain side, like coins, coin, corn, soybeans, um, you know, who are our competitors, you know, who on the medical Cotton. side really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So a couple of questions or a couple of statements that just came in, Jeff, uh, it's good to see you or hear from you. Um, he said, male pollen is also food for bees where female resin is not nectar. Um, okay. Hey, I like that, Jeff. That's good. I think we could all agree that the bees could use a little help. Um, mm-hmm. and I think it's really sad. I'm going to be honest. The, um, the empath in me, which is not my strongest attribute, but for some reason I feel strongly about this plant. I don't like seeing all the boys murdered. I feel like we could find something better to do with them. Like, can't we put them in a room yes. together? Like, let's quarantine those guys and use their fiber and, and something. I, maybe you collect the pollen and you make it into bee food. I don't know. We, we figure something out to not just murder all the boys as soon as they're like... They're like, hey, I'm a boy, and we just like imagine if it was any other animal, and we just as soon as the boy came, yeah, done, do away with him. Like, like this is Greece, and we're in the movie Three Hundred. Well, we'll compete the industrial, you know, fiber production compared to they're going through and cleaning all the females out. You know. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. Sexism uh, through this industry is just that's right, uh, Marion. It's great to see you. Uh, she said it fits her true love story. Everything we've been talking about. Today. Oh, good. Great. Uh, wondering about references to books so that she can learn more. Ooh, what, references to books. Um, it really depends on which topic <laughs> you would want. I am reading a really good one, and I am gonna look up the name of that book because actually I like it, and I'm gonna plug it. Oh, nice. I like it. So with I that, know the author. She sent it to me. So just let me find her on LinkedIn so I can remember the name of her book. Okay. So with that, uh, tell me too, who, who in the industry is doing it right? Who can we give some shout outs to? Yeah, who should Ooh. people go out and follow and really pay attention if they want good content and good resources and paying attention to what's up and coming? For sure. Um, you know, who's really great on the sort of pharmacy medical side is Alan O. Uh, and I think of LinkedIn, but I think he's on uh, Instagram as Plants and Prescriptions. Uh, he is killing it. Uh, we don't work together really directly in any capacity yet. We've had a call or two, but I just think his, his content is really healthcare oriented and really high quality. So if anyone's listening who's into that, he's great. Yeah. Um, 
I really like Matthew O'Brien from a cannabis industry global level. And he's got his newsletter, 4 p.m., uh, which can be really helpful to break down one topic in a day. Uh, and he also posts on LinkedIn. He's a really great guy. Um, okay. Who else is doing it right? Um, I got to think of one other person. I don't know yeah, why, Dr. but three, three seems, well, there's no doubt about it that actually I'm going to give that whole curious about cannabis uh, uh, sort of board a shout out. I just joined this education board with curious about cannabis. I am confident it is one of the strongest and not the strongest combination of, of cannabis, like science communicators that I, I mean, I've ever seen. Um, so you definitely want to check out what we're doing. We're still working on that, to be honest. We just sort of, you know, put our rings together. We're going to see how we can change the, the planet. But uh, for now, we're just warming up. So um, definitely check that out. That's Curious About Cannabis podcast or CSE podcast. Jason, uh, who organized that, is stupendous and deserves a shout out as well. Um, awesome. and, and his podcast is definitely, from a, a cannabis science perspective, the, the top notch. And that's two shout outs for you, Jason. <laughs> okay, so we'll have to plug him also and get get copies of it and see if we can't share it to our community and really, really get involved. Um, I love highlighting people that are doing it right and really bringing the right type of content to the to the market. So you need it. And you, the same goes to you. I mean, I think bringing all the experts on and giving them a platform to speak isn't is in of itself a, a doing your your part, you know, and, and letting us um, elevate the message that we need to do. So thank you. Yeah, it's been fun. Well, and I'll tell you what, this is like, I'm, I feel like a kid in a candy jar. <laughs> Every day, I'm just like, I'm going to school. I'm just going to sit and listen. And there's some top topics that I just, I could go on and on and on about. So no, I, I definitely hear you on that. No, I, I definitely do. And here is our author's name. Okay. Is Cheryl Pellerin and her book. It's going to kill me if I can't pull this up and it's not there. Her latest book. Healing with Cannabis, the Evolution okay. of the Endocannabinoid System. Okay, I love it. I'll have to plug definitely, it in. Definitely worth the read. She interviews, you know, Russo and a lot of just really influential people and cites them a lot. But I am like five chapters into this book and I feel like I wrote it. So if you like what I had to say here today, uh, I'm like, dang, dude, I feel like she's picked my brain on all of this. But maybe it's because we're learning from the great, the same great people, right? And the same people that she's citing are the, uh, the authors and the, the thought leaders that I'm reading. Um, and maybe this is the way this all works. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, as it's a small world, right? And the community is definitely passionate and they definitely link arms and like attracts like. And so it doesn't surprise me that you're running with leaders yourself. Um, what areas of cannabis? The question just came in, TJ, hello. Uh, this is a great question. What areas of cannabis research can farmers help with? Oh, that's, that's really great. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what we, what we need to do is we need to look at, at what we're eating, right? And so what we're eating is problematic through, you got to go back through subsidies and you got to really look at what's driving the corn and, and wheat addiction uh, in the country and sugar, if we throw that in there and corn, it's kind of the same thing. That's mine. Mine is. Uh, for sure. Um, so, so I think finding research that, that justifies re changing the way that we're farming, showing cost savings that we can do this compared to corn, compared to soya or compared to cotton, 
or whatever, whatever crop that you can help replace. I think that is how farmers can make the most impact because this, again, this isn't just about medicine. Medicine's complicated. It's, it's actually sort of annoying and, and doesn't always serve everyone. Um, and so I think what we could serve the whole planet is working on it, not just like saying it and growing it, like how do we capture data? How do we prove scientifically that this land is now more fruitful? This land is now healthier and, and bring that to our politicians and our, our leaders. And, and I really feel confidently that they won't be able to continue to subsidize crops that are killing the planet. I think that the data is critical, right? And I think that this goes back to what you said is that proof of, you know, and, and I advise this all the time as farmers are going out and growing and understanding that, um, you know, there's an opportunity potential for carbon credits or for this increase due to regenerative practices or additional funds due to regenerative practices and being able to make sure that you collect correct soil samples so that you can prove improvement in the soil. Um, and so I think that the data and collecting the data every step of the way is important. And what worked, how much water, what was your rain cycle, what fertilizers did you use? All of it. Yes. And the more data we can get, the more robust mm -hmm. conclusions we can draw. And we know that this plan has a role in the future, but if we can etch it out early, then, then the path forward is going to be a lot easier. Uh, do we have one more second for, for a question? Alex asked a yeah. question. It falls into the category of things, misnomers that I like to, to debunk. Yes, uh, and Alex, Alex is wondering in context of the endocannabinoid system, do you think cannabinoids are akin to vitamins? Now I've heard this. I don't fully disagree, but just for context, uh, vitamins are almost always either uh, sort of hormones or, or really cofactors in, in it reactions in the body. And that is not the way that cannabis works. Cannabis works by acting directly on a receptor system within the body that your body endogenously produces molecules. And we know another flower that produces molecules that act on an endogenous system. That flower is the poppy flower and it makes morphine and it works directly on our opioid system. And so by that logic, you could say that uh, opioids uh, are akin to vitamins. And I wouldn't say that. I will not make the assessment or assumption that that is the, a perfect analogy because the endocannabinoid system is a homeostatic system and the opioid system is, is but isn't as much. Uh, and so there aren't, it's not a perfect comparison, but, but no, I don't think phytocannabinoids are vitamins. I think they are drugs that act on the system that we were all born with and not just us, every vertebrate on earth. That's the reason that dogs, when they take too much THC, have a really bad reaction because they have an endocannabinoid system too. And it's different than yours and mine. And birds have it and mice have it and ferrets and whales and all of the above. So if they all needed a vitamin, because that's what a vitamin means, um, they, they'd be all eating hemp and that's, that's not what's happening, but they are eating omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids feeding their endocannabinoid system. It's funny. Somebody said it's, yeah, exactly. Somebody said the other day, um, you know, everybody's scared to have their cattle eat their, you know, their, if somebody down the road is, has a field of, of, 
uh, hemp, you know, everybody in the neighborhood or everybody in the community is nervous that their cattle are going to eat it, but the cattle are racing to break down the fence to, to eat the, the fiber or to eat the plant. And so it's is funny. That, is that you, happening? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. And so I think that it is. Yeah. It was actually a comment with some farmers that said, it's amazing. Everybody in the community, you know, pushed against us growing. But as soon as we did, the neighbor's cattle were constantly in our field eating our crops. <laughs> it is interesting. And and to be honest, there, you know, there might be a very healthy range of cannabinoids that, that can be looked at as vitamins, but that's not the way that most people are consuming these substances. And And I don't know many vitamins that I smoke. And there's just like a lot of different angles that you can say, okay, probably not quite like that. Now, is cannabis extremely safe, a lot of fun, mind opening and, and medicine and all of those things? Sure. It's just not a vitamin. For sure. For sure. Well, Cody, I sure appreciate your time. Thank you very, very much today. I could spend another hour talking, probably not today. I'm ready to go take a nap. <laughs> and I know you are bed. too. Exactly. So. But with that being said, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Anybody that's listening, you can find more of our content on our YouTube channel at Global Hemp Association um, or on our website, globalhempassociation.org. Um, we'll post lots of content. And then we'll see you next week. We've got one of these next week because we'll be on the road traveling and then filming live at our events that we're going to be at. So I'm really excited to see. We get to go see Dr. Uma and Greg. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to run around with him in North Carolina and go meet different people. So that's so that's exciting. Yeah. You're going to have a, a great time. Uh, and I'm glad to do this and can't wait for the next one. Awesome. Cody, thank you very, very much. Thank and we'll talk Michael. soon. Have a good day. See you guys. Bye.